are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. Good morning. We're in this series called, What If I Don't Know What I Believe? Now, in two weeks, March the 11th, what is that date? March the 11th, we are going to be talking about the article of faith, Divine Healing. And so, here's what we believe as a church. We believe in divine healing. And we urge you to pray prayers of faith for people who are sick. So we decided that if in two weeks we're doing that service, why wouldn't we give people an opportunity to be prayed for to be healed? Okay? So you probably know somebody who needs healing, and, and it might be physical healing, it might be a marriage that needs healing, or emotions that need healing, or relationships in their lives that need healing, whatever that is, I think if I were you, I would say, I want to make sure I have those people here on that day for a healing service. We're not going to get nuts. We're just going to do what the Bible says. If somebody's sick, you can anoint them with oil and pray a prayer of faith for them. So here's what happens in the Bible. Over and over again, people bring people who are sick to Jesus. I mean, it just happens over and over again. And they brought those who were sick to Jesus. Actually, there were these four guys. They had a friend who was sick. They tried to get to where Jesus was in this house. They couldn't get in the house. And so they took the roof off the top of the house and let the guy down through the hole in the roof. And so what we're going to do is bring people to Jesus. One of the ways we're going to do that is by praying. And so I want you to, number one, look at your phone, your calendar, and say March 11th. Got to be at church on that day. But the week prior to, there are going to be four opportunities for you to participate in a prayer service praying specifically for March the 11th. There'll be a prayer service Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, and then on Saturday night at 7 o'clock, I'm asking hundreds of you in both services to come here at 7 o'clock on Saturday night and to join me praying specifically for that next morning, March the 11th. And so there's some stuff in your worship folder about it. Take a look at that. Circle a date, mark a date on your calendar and say, hey, Rick, I'll be there with you to pray because I'm like you. I want to see God do amazing things. And so I'm going to come praying with you, believing that God is going to do amazing things. Okay? All right. So uh, this past uh, week, uh, Dr. Billy Graham passed away at 99 years of age. Do you think this is interesting? That he provided spiritual counsel to every president of the United States from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. That's amazing, isn't it? He was kind of known as the most famous, popular preacher of the 20th century. Get this, live, okay, I mean live, like face-to-face people who sat in front of him. He preached live, not counting television. That would have gone, you know, crazy numbers, but live he preached to over 200 million people in his crusades. Amazing. So did you ever the joke about him who was picked up, Billy Graham, by a limo driver at the airport one day, taking him to his hotel? And Billy Graham is sitting in the back of this beautiful stretch limo, and he's bragging on the car, and he's going, man, sometimes I wonder what it would be like to drive a limo like this. And the guy says, well, you're Billy Graham. If you want to drive my limo, you're welcome to it. 
And he goes, no way, you'd let me drive your limo. He says, sure, get in the front seat and drive. And so Billy Graham gets in the front seat. He said, can I wear your hat? Sure. Puts on the chauffeur's hat. They're driving down the road. The chauffeur's in the back seat and he says, you should punch it. This baby will run. And so he punches it. And he gets pulled over by a cop. And the policeman comes up and realizes who it is, goes back and radios into dispatch and says, get the captain, this is big. And so the captain gets on the radio and he says, what do you got? He said, somebody really big. And he goes, the mayor? He goes, no, big. The governor? He goes, no, I'm talking about really big. He goes, the president of the United States? He says, no, big. And he says, who is it? And he says, it may be Jesus because Billy Graham is his chauffeur. And I was told this service would not laugh at that joke, but you did. So there you go. So we're talking about baptism today, and I've read a lot of quotes this past week, like maybe you have on Facebook or social media, things that Billy Graham said. Here's what he said about baptism. Now, these are Billy Graham's words. Baptism is a conclusive act of obedience and a witness to the world. So it's an act of obedience and a witness, a statement to the world that we are Christ's. To one who has received Christ, baptism is a necessary and meaningful experience. Now, this is not everything he believes about baptism, but this quote tells us something that Billy Graham believed about baptism. He believed that it was an act of obedience. In other words, we're doing what God wants us to do when we're baptized. And he believed that it was a witness. It was saying to the world, hey, hey, everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus. But he also said it was a necessary and meaningful experience. In other words, that you need to do this. Now, now that's what he believed about baptism. So make eye contact with me for a minute. I'll scan the room, but here's what I want to ask you. What do you believe about baptism? It's really important. And I'm going to challenge you that when you walk out these doors today, that you don't walk out saying, yeah, that's all interesting, don't know where I land. I want you to land. And somewhere in this next week or two or three or four, I think you should know what it is that you do believe about baptism. That's the purpose of the series, and I hope I can be of some help today, okay? So, as a church, we don't feel a great sense of confusion. We have a collective understanding of what we believe about baptism. And so let me show you this from our Nazarene manual, okay? We believe that Christian baptism, commanded by our Lord... Now, we're not saying that the apostles did not also command it, because they did. We're just simply saying that Jesus commanded it as well, is a sacrament. You may say, what's that mean? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Signifying... So what does baptism signify? In other words, if you decide to come to the baptistry go under the water, what are you basically saying? What is the significance of that? It is signifying that you have accepted the benefits of the atonement of Jesus Christ. In other words, this Jesus offering you forgiveness and a right relationship with God, you're saying, I accept that. I embrace it. Okay? It is to be administered to believers and declarative of their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, when I'm baptizing, I, being baptized rather, I'm actually declaring that I have faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and full purpose of obedience. In other words, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to live a life of obedience in holiness and righteousness. 
So this is what we believe as a church about baptism. Now, more importantly, let's turn to the Word of God, okay? Acts chapter 2, okay? Want to grab a Bible? Open it up to Acts chapter 2, and I'll start with verse 37. Now, here's what's going on. Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the people. Amazing things have happened. And afterwards, Peter stands up and he preaches. And he says, Jesus has been accredited to us by God through signs and wonders and miracles. But you guys, you killed him. You killed him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And this Jesus now has poured the Holy Spirit out upon all of us. He is the Messiah. So when they heard this sermon, here's what happens next. Here we go. Verse 37. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. How many of you think, I know what cut to the heart means? Three of you? Okay, there's more. I mean, think about it. They were cut to the heart. What's that all about? And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized. Now think about the combination of those words. Not repent, not be baptized, but repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So with many other words, He warned them and He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted His message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this is God's word for us today. When I was when I was 19, I'd gotten out of high school and truly wasn't for sure what the next step was in my life. But I distinctly remember three events and I want to tell you about those three events, okay? One, I was driving home late one night. I lived on a kind of country road out of town a few miles. And we drove way too fast on those roads. And every once in a while, somebody would lose it and run off the road and bad wreck. And I remember that night I was driving home and I was going way too fast. And I remember consciously letting off the gas. And here's what I thought to myself. I can't afford to have a wreck because I can't afford to die like I am. I can't leave this world with the condition my heart is in. I am far from God. And there is no way that I can die like I am. The second event happened when my mom and dad were talking about a friend of our family. And I knew him really well. And I liked the guy. He was not a Christian. And I remember my mom and dad were talking about how long will it be until he finally turns his life around and starts following Jesus. And you know what I thought to myself when I overheard the conversation? I wonder if one day my parents will talk about me like that. 
How long am I going to stay out here? How long am I going to live like I'm living? How long am I going to keep doing this sin thing? How long is it going to be until I start following Jesus like I was raised and taught to do? Here's the third event. I walked through the house one day. My mom was on the phone with a lady from our church, and she was excited about the fact that we were getting this new pastor. And she says, they say this guy is a really effective pastor that a lot of people get saved under his ministry. And I remember thinking this to myself. If this guy cannot get me saved, he's pathetic. Because I was really wanting to get saved. I I would say it like this. I was cut to the heart. Uh, My heart was raw. It was like my eyes were open. I could see myself for who I really was. And I realized that I was on a path, and that path was not going to have a good ending. If I continued on the path that I was on, it was not going to get me where I wanted to be one day. And so here is Peter preaching the sermon. And he's telling them, because of who Jesus is and what He has done, you really should repent and admit that you need Jesus because He is the only one who can rescue you from this path that you've chosen. And you really need to accept Him as Savior and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you do this in this act of, you ready? Baptism. It all kind of happens in that moment. So my wife Annette and I, we were driving home yesterday. We had just kind of reached the deal where uh, we wanted to see our daughter Brittany, our son-in-law Tim, and our granddaughter Sadie really bad. And so we got in the car this past week and we drove to Cincinnati. So we're driving home yesterday and it rained almost the whole way home. And I got tired of driving in the rain. You know what that's like. You just get exhausted. And, and, and I wasn't paying maybe attention and I missed this turn. I've driven this so many times and somehow I missed it. And, and now I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. It's already a long drive and I'm making it longer. And I said to Annette, I'm really sorry I missed the turn. She's going, really? You missed it? I said, yeah, I know I missed it. Were you not watching? Maybe not. I missed it. (laughs) Then she encourages me with these words. You ready for this? She says, it's okay. I was actually reading not long ago, come to think of it, that a lot of people who suffer with attention deficit, they miss turns when they're driving and they have trouble (laughs) staying on route. To which I reacted and said, I think I'm pretty good with directions. To which she responded, that wasn't my point. (laughs) She was right, and I hate it when she's right. So now I'm going the wrong direction. What, What do you do when you realize you're going the wrong direction? I'm a man. You don't admit it. You just keep going the wrong direction, you know? No, I can't do that because... I'm wanting to get home. I have a goal. I have a target in mind. I want to get to that target, that goal. And if I keep going the wrong direction, I'm getting further away from the target. So I had to say, okay, I'm going to turn around. I'll get back up on track. We'll get on the right road. Now, if you want to understand the book of Acts well, it's better if you understand it in light of the book of Luke. Why? Because Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. Same guy. And the two books are very connected. And as you read them together, you go, oh, that makes sense. It's like 
It's like the lights start coming on as you read them together. What happens in the Gospel of Luke is Jesus is saying to these Jewish people, you are going the wrong direction. Okay? You're just going the wrong direction. That's all there is to it. And if you don't turn around and go the other direction, all I can see in the future for you is destruction. That's what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. You're doing everything that God does not want you to do. You're not going the direction that God insists that you go. Now, I'm going to say to you what the two main issues were, but I don't think you want to hear it. Do you want to hear it? I don't think you want to hear it. Do you really want me to say it? You don't want me to say it. But I'm going to say it because I think I should say it because the whole thing doesn't seem to make sense if you don't say it. So here's, here's what was going on. Here's where they were missing it really bad, okay? You ready? Number one. They didn't care about poor people. They had no concern for the plight of the poor people. They got up every morning and they said, we're going to live our lives as if there aren't poor people. We're doing nothing to help poor people. In fact, we're more concerned about getting richer than we are about poor people getting poorer. I told you, you don't want to hear this. You really don't want to hear the next thing. Do you want to hear it? It's worse. Number two, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus warns them, you have denied the calling that I've placed on you to be the light of the world. In other words, you're not passionate about helping people come to know me. You are going the wrong direction. And if you don't turn around and go the other direction, I mean, you are headed toward destruction. You've got to get concerned about the poor like I'm concerned about the poor. And you've got to get concerned about helping people come to know me like I want people to know me. And so then when you get to the book of Acts and Peter's preaching to these people that Jesus had warned, Peter's saying, you're going the wrong direction, but here's some really good news. If you will turn around, Jesus, the one that you killed, okay, the one that you put on the cross, He actually is offering to rescue you from going the wrong way. That's how much He cares about you and loves you. And so... He preaches this message and he calls for a response. Can you believe it? It would be like me getting to the end of this sermon and saying, okay, I want you to respond. I want you to come forward now. And he says, repent and be baptized. You see, how important is repentance and how important is baptism? And can you have one without the other? And do you have to have them both? And does one come first? And what does all of that look like? So let's talk about it, okay? When I was... 30 years old, 30 years old exactly, I went to a town in Tennessee to pastor a church, and a few weeks after I was there, a lady said to me, my dad is dying in the nursing home. He's elderly, he was 77, and he's lived a really bad life. He's a bad man, Pastor Rick. One person told me he was the meanest man in the county. Now, you're a bad dude if you're the meanest man in the county. 
I would go see him, and I would pray for him, and it was just, you know, there was, he didn't want to see me. One Sunday morning, about my fourth visit to see him, I felt prompted. I know, I know, and, and I, I know what you're hearing in the world today, but regardless of what you're hearing in the world today, I believe God still speaks to people, okay? Oh, I thought I'd get more rally than that. I thought you guys would be worked up. I believe God still speaks to people today, okay? And so, I go to see the guy because I felt like God wanted me to go before church, hurry over there. I go over, and after I pray with this old man, and if you're 77, I'm sorry, I should have said elderly man. Um, I see a tear laying on his cheek. First, first response ever from this guy. I said, Mr. Williams, I, I'm not going to leave. I think you want me to stay. And before I left, he accepted Jesus and verbally prayed this prayer of, I'm sorry for my sins, okay? News started to travel, and a preacher from another denomination goes over that afternoon, gets that old man out of his bed, runs a tub of water down the hallway in another room, gets that old man in the tub of water and submerges his body, immerses him in the water. A few days later, the old guy dies, and we have a funeral. The guy read some scripture. I preached the funeral. And he asked me, do you want to ride with me to the cemetery? I said, sure. So he says to me, you know, I went back and baptized Mr. Williams because I wanted him to be saved. Well, I'm thinking... I kind of think he was saved when I left. <laughs> and he says to me, oh no, I believe, and our church believes, that necessary to salvation is baptism. I said, so if you hadn't have gone back and gotten him under the water in that tub, he wouldn't have been saved? And he says, no. So I said, let me ask you a question. Let's suppose that somebody calls you and says, Pastor, I've been thinking a lot about my life, and I've been thinking about where I am, and, and I have become sorry for my sins, and I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, to rescue me from this path that I've been on, going the wrong direction, not going to end up where I wanted to end up, and now I'm on this other path with Him, what should I do? He said, I would tell them to meet me at the church immediately. I said, do you mean you got water warm and running right now? And he goes, absolutely. I said, okay, but just suppose with me, on the way to the church, they were in a car crash, and they got killed. Would they be saved? He smiles and says, not a chance. Because I believe baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, that's not what I believe. That's not what we believe as a church. We believe there's a little grace in there. We believe that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what do you do with the fact that Jesus and the apostles and Scripture calls us to baptism? And in the New Testament, believers were almost immediately baptized after conversion. And in the New Testament, we don't really see any 
notion being entertained that there were unbaptized Christians hanging around. It was fully expected an act of obedience to the commands by Jesus and the apostles. So, we have a document, and the document is called Teachings of the Twelve Apostles, written in about A.D. 25. And it kind of gives the process, and it's been interesting as we understand the history of the church and tradition. And so the idea in the history of the apostles, teachings of the twelve apostles in AD 25, said that they would be immersed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it would happen in a living stream, but if a living stream was not available, meaning a stream living water, a stream, something flowing, that a pool would suffice. And if there was no pool, then the person would be poured three times. In other words, water would be poured over their head. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, get your breath, there's one more, and the Holy Spirit, okay? And so in the Church of the Nazarene, we baptize by immersion. In fact, we will get you completely soaked. We will. We'll put you down and just hold you there for a minute, you know, and then let you up. Or we will pour, and I've done it here many times, right here at Bethany First Church, where someone said, I prefer to be poured or I can't get into the water, and we would pour the water over them, or we sprinkle. And we believe that any method is okay. What is important is this act of obedience. Can we talk just a minute about what happened and what was significant to those early believers who were baptized and what's significant to you? I'll give you just kind of a list of things. You ready? I probably won't go slow enough for you to write, but I'll I'll be somewhat conscious of it. Number one, it is a accepting the benefits of the atonement that Jesus offers. So when you come to the waters to be baptized, you're saying, okay, Jesus is offering me forgiveness of sin, and he's offering me a right relationship with God. That's what we mean by atonement. And so I'm accepting that. I'm saying, yes, I want that. Okay, number two. It is saying, signifying that I now commit to live my life in obedience to the teaching of Jesus. So, in other words, I'm not just doing some act. I'm truly making a commitment that I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. Number three, it is an outward witness. It is a witness to the world that says, Hey, everybody, look over here. I'm going to follow Jesus. Watch. They're going to dunk me in a minute. And that's what it's all about, okay? So I had a professor years ago in college that would say, if we did baptisms correctly, we would not do them in church on Sunday morning where just the Christians showed up. If we did baptisms correctly, we would do them at Walmart, preferably 3.30 in the afternoon when most of the people were there, and we would set up a tank and we would do them at the parking lot at Walmart. Because when you think about it, John the Baptist not only preached this repentance of baptism... He would say, okay, it's one thing to accept Jesus now and to follow Him. It's another thing in front of the whole community because they were all there watching this guy named John the Baptist to see what he was going to do next. It was another thing to say, now walk down the hillside and get in the river with me and let me baptize you. And what you're saying is, hey, everybody, the whole community, look, I'm now a follower of Jesus. And it means that as well. It also signifies this, that I'm identifying with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. So get the picture, okay? You baptize someone. What do you do? You put them under the water. So when you put them under, the significance is it's like a drama being acted out. I am being buried with Christ, okay? The person that I used to be has died. 
I no longer live that sinful life I used to live. Bury me, will you? Because I'm dead. And what happens? Oh, it's a resurrection. What comes out of the water is this new person in Christ Jesus. I have not only been buried with Him, the Apostle Paul said, but I have been raised with Him to this new life. And lastly, it is when the believer identifies with the church. So I have a friend, pastor, and he said this lady, young woman, came to our church, didn't grow up in church. This whole baptism thing really got her going and thinking. So what does it mean? So he's trying to explain. And he gets to this part about you identify with the church. You become a member of the body of Christ. And so, the morning of her baptism, she's going, I don't know. What do you not know? I don't know if I really want to sign on with you guys. I don't know that I like you that well. That's a decision you got to make. So she accepts it and she's baptized. And he says, we keep in touch even though we moved away. And sometimes we talk to her on the phone and she says, sometimes the people in this church make me crazy. <laughs> but they're my people. And I remember the morning of my baptism. I decided I was going to be a part of these people. And so when times are good, I stick it out. And when times are bad, I stick it out. But this is my family. And he said to me, you know, my wife and I, sometimes we struggle in our relationship. Sometimes she makes me crazy. Sometimes I make her crazy. But we remember a day when we did this covenant thing. We got married. And we said then, when times are good, we'll stick it out. When times are tough, we'll stick it out. And he says to me, I wish people saw baptism that way. I've kind of married myself to this church. And I'm committed. When times are good, when times are hard. So, be baptized. If this is all that we believe about it, let's talk about its value and why just for a moment. You, you heard the word sacrament earlier on, and um, a really brief uh, definition of sacrament would be an outward sign, okay, of inward grace. Is that easy? And I believe it. I just think we ought to say some more. Outward sign, inward grace. Now, in the Catholic Church, there are seven sacraments. In the Protestant world, there are two. The Reformers said, what is important that we call something a sacrament is that it is not only an outward sign, but it also promises forgiveness. And so we see only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's something we outwardly do, followed by inner grace that we've experienced in our lives. However, we believe that it is more than just a sign. So here's one of those, uh, let's have a good, open, honest conversation. I grew up in a Nazarene church. We didn't baptize too many people and we didn't take communion very often. 
somehow we allowed it to lose its meaning to us because we saw it only as an outward sign. And we failed to realize that a sacrament is a means of grace. What do I mean by that? A channel of grace. A channel through which God imparts grace to us. And so every time that I receive communion with you, I believe that God is doing something in me. And I believe that I'm receiving the grace of Jesus even in that moment. So when I am baptized, I believe that something is happening to me then. I don't believe it is simply a testimony that, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I believe that it is a channel through which God gives me grace. I'm okay with saying, I believe something happens in the water. Even though I've already repented of my sins and committed to following Jesus. And it's an act of grace that I don't want to miss out on. So, anybody here thinking to yourself, all right, the part of the sermon that kind of got my attention was this part. Been going the wrong direction, and I can see where it ends up, and it's not where I want to be. Kind of like the people Jesus, or rather Peter, was talking to and Jesus was talking to. My life is not going the right, right way, Rick, and I, and I need to repent and be baptized. I mean, look at this promise that we find. You will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So my life has been going this direction, and I need to turn around, and I need to go the other direction. I need to follow Jesus. I need what you're preaching about today, I need to repent and be baptized. And I wonder if there's anybody else in the room saying, you know what, Rick? I've been talking about and saying I'm following Jesus for a long time, but I have avoided, for whatever reason, this baptism act. And I feel like today that God, by His Holy Spirit, like He speaks to you, is speaking to me, wooing me, calling me to be baptized. I have repented, but I need to be baptized. So either story that's yours, I've been praying this week that in this very moment that God would give you the grace to just respond. Just say, you know what? It's time. I need to take that next step. And, and here's what the next step is to simply take out your phone and to text BFC Baptism to this number, 555-888. And when you do that, you'll get a prompt, you touch that, and you can register for baptism. It's really simple. Or I'll make a commitment to you. When this service is over, I will get there before you get there. I will be in the foyer. You can write your name and your number down on a piece of paper, and you just hand it to me. Mark Petritus will also be around. You can hand it to him. Hand it to an usher that you're sure will get it to one of us, and we will contact you this week about baptism. We have a class on Wednesday night that will help you with the details. If you can't make it to that, we'll work something out with you. But next Sunday, a week from today, we will have a baptism service. 
okay? And I, uh, I would love for that to be your baptism. So why don't you stand with me? And let's all together respond to the word that we have heard. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.